0: On today's episode of Dance Med Spotlight, join me as I talk with Dr. Sarah Truckee, a physical therapist and athletic trainer who is also here in Colorado. We talk about things for really kind of everyone. We have some topics that are more specific for our dance medicine providers, talking about things like burnout, imposter syndrome, uh, how we can engage with one another, how we stay fresh on everything so we don't get in a rut working with our clients or patients. We also talk a lot about things that are more from the dance community perspective ways that dancers can advocate for themselves and how we can promote that, whether it's as the healthcare providers that they're seeing, as the dance teachers working with them in the studio, but how do we promote self-advocacy for dancers? We also talk a lot about some of the ways that we're able to engage as dance medicine providers in the dance community more specifically, things that we're able to offer in the studio, on site, all of that sort of thing, and provides a lot of really great detail and perspective for studios that are wanting to maybe provide another level of service and benefit for their dancers and really demonstrate their concern for their dancers' health and wellness. So be sure to check out this episode. We literally have something for everybody in this one and hopefully some great information that you can work to incorporate into your own dance community or into your practice as a dance medicine provider. Welcome back to another episode of Dance Med Spotlight where we talk about all things dance medicine and dance science. Today, I am super excited about my guest. She is a fellow physical therapist, also here in Colorado, and a friend of mine, Dr. Sarah Treike.
1: Welcome. Yay! Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So, my famous first question for all of my guests tell me a bit about what got you to this point of being interested in working with dancers as a professional.
1: Totally. Yeah. So I am a Colorado native. I grew up in Longmont and danced as a studio dancer for many years. I started dancing at the age of three, probably got competitive by age 10 or so, and then went to a bunch of different competitions and conventions with my local studio in Longmont, Colorado, called Dance Dimensions. And um, I always thought that I would pursue dance professionally, actually. And I was awarded a couple scholarships that took me to Los Angeles to dance at the Edge Performing Arts Center. And quickly learned that I didn't see myself staying persistent in the professional realm of dance. But while I was there, the physical therapy department at USC wanted to do a study, a research study on dancers' injuries. I think it was looking at like the biomechanics of landing from a jump, turning, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And our group of dancers from the scholarship program were selected for this research study. And it was in that moment that I was like, wow, I could really see like two worlds kind of coming together for me, dance and physical therapy. Now, I didn't really want to go down the research track, but wanted to actually work with dancers and do more of the the clinical side of things. So right after, I think it was like around 20 or 21 years old uh, that I moved back from Los Angeles to Colorado and then went back and kind of changed my major at CU to physiology in hopes to get into physical therapy. Now that didn't exactly happen right away, kind of took a scenic route and ended up going and getting my master's of athletic training at Pacific University. So I am a licensed athletic trainer as well as a physical therapist. I love both professions dearly, Uh, I get to wear both hats in my career, which is awesome. so I always knew just like from that moment when I was 21 years old I was like I'm going to work with dancers and it's going to be in physical therapy or athletic training. And um it was kind of like not very supported I guess like mm-hmm. through my journey I did get a dance clinical rotation um with you know hands-on experience working with ballet dancers and college level dancers but like I got a lot of pushback from professors and just like people in general, like, how are you going to make this sustainable, like working with dancers? And I was like, I don't know, I'm just going to do it because like, yeah. it's my goal. It's my dream. Like I- That sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. Can't <laughs> think of anything else. Like, I mean, I daydreamed every day in PT school, I'm like, how can I own my own practice and work with dancers? And so that's what I did. Um, mm-hmm. And so I w- I started as a new grad kind of working in a A clinic for um about six months and then I got furloughed from my job because of the pandemic uh but that pushed me back to Colorado again I like ended up going back to California for a little bit and then came back to Colorado in a couple circles here and there but um it was during the pandemic that I was like why don't I just start my own practice so it was in 2021 that I basically got on the internet and uh Found how to create an LLC, and that's how I started my practice. It's called Trinity Physical Therapy and Wellness. Uh, I started as mobile physical therapy, which was really great. Um, didn't have any like overhead rent, but then um, figured it was time and an opportunity to kind of presented itself to find a space in Boulder. And so now I'm in my own space. I still kind of go into people's homes with another a company just as uh, as needed. But mm-hmm. in my practice, I see primarily dancers. And I primarily market to competition studio dancers because that's what I'm very much familiar with. Uh, and it's something that's rewarding to give back because I grew up as a competition studio dancer and I never had um, someone like a dance physical therapist work with me. So I grew up to be yeah. here, which is really cool.
0: That's awesome, yeah, and I love that you had this very clear vision like from the beginning of this is what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna figure it out despite what people are telling me because I think I know I encountered a lot of the same sort of thing when I started saying, you know I, I think I want to do dance more specifically as part of my practice. Um, and having a lot of that, like, are there even enough dancers? Why would they come to you? You know, all of these different things. Um, but I'm also stubborn. So here we are.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's really unfortunate that there is that pushback because we need more uh, you know, healthcare professionals that work with dancers, not just physical therapists, but, Mm -hmm. and there's plenty out there to market to that it's, it's definitely a need. So I wish it wasn't, you know, pushed back on so much, but like you said, I'm also stubborn and very persistent. I wasn't going to let anyone say no to me and Mm -hmm. here we are. So
0: Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, so I guess Before we get too far into other discussion, in case people aren't familiar with particularly athletic training, tell us a little bit about what athletic training is and how that is maybe similar or different to what you would do as a physical therapist since you wear both hats.
1: Yeah. I love that question. There's a lot of similarities that I think people don't really acknowledge um, trying to like not step on too many toes here, but I think the gap needs to be bridged a lot. And me coming in from like both programs of like going through both schooling, I can definitely say that like athletic trainers can very much rehab injuries in the athletic population. You know, same with physical therapists, right? Um, mm-hmm. Athletic training I think gets more at like the acute care, first responder, like on site. We're the first one to kind of triage. We rule in, rule out whether or not this athlete or dancer needs to get care right away, emergency care. Uh, can it wait where they see their doctor, or can I just like treat them right away? You know? Mm-hmm. And so I wear that hat a lot. I would say, you know, my practice tends to provide more of the traditional physical therapy services when I'm in my clinic, but. I do a lot of backstage care and on-site care where I am using my athletic training hat, if you will, more.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, just
1: because like, I can be that first re- responder. I know like, more what to do in that situation um, just from that experience of doing a lot of that with um, sports teams, high school level, D3, college level, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I think you know, my taping skills come in really handy too as an athletic trainer. Uh, I think we get that a little bit in PT school, but we mm-hmm. I i have definitely have seen my colleagues have to do a little bit more training for that. And, like, we get it all the time in athletic training. Like, that's what we're known for. Yeah. I don't want that to be the only thing that we're known for, but, like, yes, <laughs> like, I definitely feel more skilled with that kind of thing, which comes in really handy for, like, you know, just giving the dancers some Tactile feedback, some support, some stability, so that they can still do what they want to do in dance without feeling pain, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. Uh, the cush- concussion protocol. I feel mm. like I have a deeper understanding of that from my athletic training background. Um, not to say that you know you don't get that in PT. I think it's it's like a different route of like understanding um more neurological conditions and how to treat that as a physical therapist but like the concussion Mm -hmm. stuff we definitely dive in deep deeper into athletic training so and that's certainly come in handy i've had to do that screen a couple times on a different two different performing artists one was an actor and another a dancer so Mm -hmm. that's been pretty helpful
0: to have that Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's so important. I think like you said, thinking of needing to bridge that gap a little bit more because like I know even through PT school and for a while afterwards, I knew of the athletic training profession, but I didn't really know like what they did. I knew they were more sports related, like you know, that was kind of my understanding. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten to know athletic trainers and know what all you're trained in and all of that kind of stuff, it's like, no, we're we're very much doing a lot of the same kinds of things, just a slightly different lens, sort of like our occupational therapy colleagues, where, you know, we may be looking at a lot of the same things together, but we're looking at it in a slightly different way and have a different understanding of it. And it's so valuable, like when we're working in hospitals, for example, we're very used to working side by side with our OT friends. Um, but I don't think we do enough of that on the AT side, you um, when we have the opportunity.
1: Agreed, yeah, I, when I graduated from both programs, I like wanted to be this person to like bridge the gap and like bring us together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's not just gonna happen with just one person, but I hope to be a person that does like advocate for both professions Mm -hmm. and like brings us together a little bit. Yeah. Um, The last NATA conference I went to, I think it was the Las Vegas one, the keynote speaker, I believe she does have PT in her background. And she was talking about like, let's do better. Like, let's come together. Let's educate ourselves together and like collaborate, you know, because there still is this big turf war going on. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big um, advocate for collaboration. Like there's things that I'm not going to see that my colleague might see. And I don't view it as like Let's compete against one another. Like no, like if you're a better fit for my client or athlete or dancer, like I support that and like mm-hmm. I trust obviously the training of athletic trainers because I, I have that training and I I personally feel like sometimes like some athletic trainers are better than just like some of the PTs out there. So not mm-hmm. to like be offensive to anyone, but you know it's just we all have a set like what you're saying. And I just wish more people were open to that and come from a place of more curiosity mm-hmm. and really wanting to get to know the individual and what they can provide, so.
0: Yes, most definitely. So I know, let's see, I know you grew up as a dancer. Were there times now looking back, knowing what you know now, where it's like, oh man, if only I had said somebody like me now, um, who would have been able to help me back then? You know, do you have any memories like that where it's like, oh man, if only.
1: Yeah, it's a good segue to kind of talk about what we plan to talk about, advocating for dancers. Mm -hmm. Um, I can think of a perfect personal story where I was probably middle school, high school age. I, uh, ended up straining, um, possibly, like, really tearing my gastrocnemius mm.
0: muscle. Um,
1: my Achilles was always intact, but, like, I vividly remember not being able to, like, put my heel down for, well, it might have been, like, three or four days or maybe a week, but it felt like an eternity because it was Forever. so painful.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I remember going to a couple different healthcare professionals. I went to a doctor to start. I think it was just, like, um, maybe an ortho that worked with, like, ankle knee injury type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, And I recall him pretty much telling me, like, okay, you're just going to have to stop dancing. <laughs> I was like, well, that's not going to work. I know this is, like, a very common story that we hear among dancers, unfortunately. Um, I didn't take Again, I must have just been stubborn and persistent back then too. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to take that for an answer. So, uh with the help of like my parents, we found another doctor to go to. That was like more of a specialist, I think maybe in like muscle tearing or straining. I don't really remember that perfectly, mm-hmm. but it did like show up on MRI that it was it was strained for sure. Um so they sent me to physical therapy and I think they like this was back in the day when they wanted to like boot up and cast people for that kind of thing. So they wanted to put me in a boot for like at least six weeks and I said no to that. And like, now that I'm on the other side of like where I am now with all my training and like the type of treatment that we use today, it's pretty cool that I like advocated for myself um, at that age. And I was like, I just don't think like, Limiting my mobility is gonna like really help me. I mean, it might like decrease the pain for a bit, but then what? Like I get out of the boot, I'm gonna have to like retrain it. Like, so yeah. I think like nowadays we we tend to like load the tissue a little bit more, like teach it how to be functional under a load. Um, and so that just like kind of blows my mind. I'm pretty proud of myself that I like listened to my body and like advocated. Mm-hmm. Um and then I've actually, you know, had people ask me kind of a similar question, I guess, like, what, you know, what if someone had told you differently? Like, would you have done anything differently? I don't think I would have, like, gone in a boot um, because it didn't, like, you know, affect my function nowadays. Like, it, I may have yeah. strained it again later down the road, but, like, it, it definitely healed itself. So, it didn't, like, limit me nowadays. And I think that was kind of a concern. Like, well, it might cause you, you know, problems in the future. I wish I would have had someone to maybe like teach me how to um, train it in a safe manner Mm -hmm. and then like help me get back to dancing, obviously, because that was like my ultimate goal. And um, I don't think it was that injury, but I definitely tried to uh, find a dance physical therapist. I I asked some of my dance teachers that I respected and they didn't know of anyone. I think at the time they're like, well, there is one that works with like Colorado ballet or like more of the professional companies, but there wasn't just like a go-to person. I right. could go to. So yeah. I mean, if I hadn't had someone to like help talk me through how to return to my sport, like that would have been super helpful for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I was in a similar boat with an injury that I had in my freshman year of high school. And it was just sort of, you know, I had too much pain and dysfunction to be able to dance for months. And then once it finally got to a point where it was like, well, I think I can do it. And then I just went back to classes and that was it. And I'm sure there is a lot that could have been helped along the way Mm -hmm. to make it a smoother transition. And especially like I got injured at a winter show and I came back like maybe two months before spring show. And so, you know, it was full throttle when I was coming back in for rehearsals and all of that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I'm sure I did some interesting things with my body in the process because I didn't have anyone to provide any sort of guidance.
1: Yep. Well, and then I think when you and I did some care for Doctors for Dancers at a couple of the competitions, Mm -hmm. it brought back a memory of like, I remember waking up every Sunday morning with my neck just like Mm. in so much pain. And like in that day and age, like I was just like, oh, like I whipped my hair around a lot. So like my, my neck muscles are probably strained, but like I don't know. I think doing that over and over again created just like almost like a whiplash injury, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it would have been nice to like have someone on site to just like, hey, can I stop by your table? And can you just like take a look to make sure like nothing is seriously wrong? Because it wasn't just me that said that a lot of like my fellow dancers were like, dang, my neck like really, really hurt. Mm-hmm. So was just another like thought of needing someone to just let me know if that am I even if I'm okay and that's kind of like that on site care of like wearing my athletic training hat to like triaging them to be like
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I mean you're probably you know tight here you could see someone in the future but it's nothing scary I guess you know
0: right exactly and I think you know talking about that whole idea of um working on site and having somebody there when we were doing that people were so incredibly grateful when they were in a point of like oh my gosh is this serious can i keep dancing you know when it's in that kind of scary moment they were so happy to have a group of us there to be able to just come by and get checked out and get the reassurance of like you know yes things are fine or in a couple of circumstances where we did have to send them off to get more workup because it was a significant enough thing. Again, having that guidance. And I remember distinctly, there was um, a studio owner there with her dancers and one of the dancers was injured um, and, or wasn't feeling well. And so we were going through a whole screening thing with her. Parents were not on site at the moment. So she was acting as guardian for her. And we were able to figure out she needs to go to urgent care and get checked out because this is not Mm -hmm. okay how things are going. Mm -hmm. And I remember her telling me, I feel such relief having somebody here who is able to screen this child and make a decision for their medical care because I'm a studio owner. Like I can make my best guess, but like I I don't have that training. And so to have somebody who actually knows that, I'm so thankful. And it takes such a burden off of me Mm -hmm. in my role as a studio owner. Yeah. That's exactly it.
1: For sure. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. really, I love hearing that. And that's super rewarding. I remember you screening that dancer, but I didn't realize like the gratitude that came out of it too. That's really awesome.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of a dancer being able to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for a long time, the culture in dance has sort of been, you know, play down injuries, don't let people know, you know, and just muddle through. Now we're starting to see that change, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, But we still have a long ways to go with it. And so being able to have dancers advocate for themselves is a really important thing.
1: Definitely. Um, I mean, unfortunately, it's a common theme that I'm still hearing nowadays of my dancer coming in and saying like, I'm afraid to tell anybody because I don't want to be told that I can't dance or I'm worried that it's like something even more serious than it is. And so I just always try to come from, like, a very empathetic space, um, asking questions out of curiosity as and just kind of, like, digging deeper into that. Like, okay, what what is making you so afraid? Like, let's talk about worst-case scenario and mm-hmm. just, like, get your brain to a place where it's okay to acknowledge that fear, but you don't need to, like, hang out there. Um, mm-hmm. And then just, it allows them to, like, open up and and tell me, I guess, more about what is going on in their thought process with that. Um, I also mm-hmm. remind my dancer that, like, majority of the time, I don't tell my dancer to stop dancing. I usually help them to be able to continue dancing if i can if they can or like modify it in a certain way it's very mm-hmm. rare that i have to tell a dancer that they have to stop for a while and at that point they already know that because they're usually on their way to like getting surgery and then they need recovery after that surgery so they know that they're going to be out for a certain amount of time um so i think just for like the basic like aches and pains um just being able to like confidently stand up for yourself and go to someone, even if it is like your dance teacher or your parent that can help you get to a person. Right. And so that's why I really like having these relationships with these dance studios, because now like I'm starting to build the rapport with the studio owners and the dance teachers that like, kind of what you're saying, like, if a dancer often goes to their dance teacher and is like, I'm having pain in my knee, like, what should I do? And they're like, I don't know, like, this isn't, this, I can't tell you. So they get me on the phone right away, and they're like, go see Sarah, like, she can probably just, like, tell you what's going on, you know? Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I, I tell my dancers when I go to studios is just, like, Don't be afraid to like stand up for yourself and also don't be afraid to question even like if you do go to a healthcare professional, ask them why they're giving you this treatment intervention or like ask them if it's the only option. Don't be afraid to just be like, okay, the doctor's saying this, so they must be right. You know, like listen to your body. And that's like kind of what I'm pulling from like my own personal experience. Like I wasn't willing to take no for an answer. So yeah. Yeah. That's what I would
0: say about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that point of, you know, having that conversation early on with a dancer with an injury of, you know, my goal is to keep you dancing as safely as possible for as long as possible. Um, I know a lot of times I get, especially some of the the younger kids who come in where they're really anxious because they're afraid I'm just going to tell them they need to stop. And I have had that same conversation many times mm-hmm, yeah. with some of those dancers and it's so true that like if you are skilled with the questions that you're asking them, it can waylay so many of their fears and make sure that like we're at least getting that anxiety, that initial anxiety out of the way so then we can really focus on what's going on and help them through the recovery process and not just get stuck in that just anxiety and worry and all the other stuff that comes with it because We've both been injured dancers. Mm-hmm. We know what this is like. And that's that's often something I share with them too is like I I was there. I get it. We don't want to stop. Yeah. Um and I'm only going to tell you if we really have to.
1: I there's been so many times where a dancer takes courage and comes to me and you know they're they're nervous during the whole assessment. They're like what's going on? And then when I sit them down and I describe like this is let me teach you how to train yourself to get out of this. It's like, I just see this huge sigh of relief. They're like, oh my gosh, thank you. Like they just feel so heard and they feel like that, that anxiety like lifts off from them because now they like have the tools, they know what to do. They go trial it and usually it works. And if it doesn't, like that's when we come back in, we reevaluate, we workshop it again and then, you know, same thing. So that's mm-hmm. that's really cool to to be that person for them to like yeah. give them that sigh of relief.
0: Yeah. And I always get super proud of my dancers when they are able to participate in a conversation and make good decisions for themselves from things that we've, you know, worked on over time and that sort of thing. Like I had a dancer recently who we've been working together for a little while Injury was getting stubborn, and it was like, you know, I I think we're at that point where really rest is going to be the thing that we need to do for a short time. Mm -hmm. But had an important thing coming up that she wanted to be able to do. And so we had this conversation of, okay, we're at this point where we have two options. We either try to get you as safely as possible to this goal of yours and then deal with the consequences afterwards, or we can take the pause now, really get you in a good spot, and then you're going to be that much better off for things later down the road. And, you know, she had a lot of questions for me. Mom had a lot of questions. We had a really great conversation at the end of it. She said, you know, I I think I'd rather just take the time off now and not push my body and, you know, get myself in a good place because that's the most important part. And when she said that, I was just internally like – that's what I was <laughs> hoping for I'm glad we like that you you came to that conclusion yourself with our conversation um because I tried really hard to just keep it this very neutral just these are the options here are the facts what questions do you have mm-hmm. and not trying to like sway her one way or the other but I
1: was like yay <laughs> that's awesome yeah I've had dancers like a similar situation where they are just like, more in tune to listening to their body and they know they're like, okay, I feel this thing coming on. So I better like get back into the things that Sarah told me to do. Or they just like come back in and they're like, Hey, I I think I just need a tune up. And that's all it really takes, you know? And, And that's on them. Like they, I'm not going out of my way to be like, Hey, like, did you do your exercises? Like, do you need to come back to PT? They're like, no, I I just know when I feel it in my body and I need to take care of it. And then they, they end up coming back. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah. definitely. And I think that's one of the things like, you know, it's wonderful to be able to be a part of just their general recovery process and get them back to their goals. But I think kind of the next level of stuff is providing them the education to be more aware of their bodies and know when they maybe need attention and that sort of thing and have the the knowledge, the courage, like you said, you know, some of those types of traits to to be able to acknowledge that also. Um, and so, you know, I think that's like the next level of what we're able to provide for them, which I think is super cool.
1: Mm-hmm, for sure.
0: Um. I know one of the things that We had kind of mentioned, uh, you know, like off air thinking about this before too, is this idea of sometimes when we're, you know, as healthcare providers getting into just kind of our our daily grind of things, Mm -hmm. sometimes it can get really easy to just almost kind of get into the rut and almost too into just like the groove of it all that we maybe start to lose sight a little bit of some of the things that are more specifically important for our patients or you know some of that compassion for our patients talk about that a little bit for me
1: yeah totally um i was like kind of having that thought too as i was driving here (laughs) thinking Mm -hmm. about the podcast today um i think that's often can be a barrier i think among healthcare professionals is that we do get into this seeing kind of the similar thing day in, day out. And so there is a risk of just being like, oh yeah, I saw this. So it's, you're likely just going to present exactly like that. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, that's a slippery slope to go down because then you're risking yourself of maybe not catching something that, you know, is very different to what it, you would expect it to clinically present as, right? So I think just from my perspective, um, I try to be mindful and like catch myself if I am going down that road in my day or with my clients and just bring it back to that curiosity state and like asking, you know, deeper questions that I might not have asked. Um, And this is, I'm not always mindful about it because I'm, you know, only human. But like, usually if I see that things aren't really changing as I would expect them to, that's when I go back and I'm like, let's reevaluate. Maybe I need to ask questions about other health-specific stuff. Um, Maybe I need to start looking at it from a a new angle, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's a start as to what I would say in in trying to get out of that rut and out of that groove. I think it's natural for all of us to get into that headspace just because like, we see very similar clinical presentations. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. I know one of the things that really helps me kind of maintain perspective a little bit and not get too lost in that rut is just having some variety in what I do too. It's not just clinic, it's on-site stuff. And it's on-site for different genres of dance and different demographics, like working with competitive kids and working with West Coast swing dancers or like my big ones, um, or you know, teaching at the PT school because they're so excited about all the things and starting to put all the pieces together. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting that constant reminder of how exciting the profession is and how exciting it is to work with people and all of that kind of thing. And so, you know, having that variety in my day, in my week, in my month also helps not just like get the blinders on um, when I'm seeing people in front of me in clinic, no matter what they're coming in for.
1: Yeah, I can relate to that too. Um, You know, I still work for an as-needed type of company situation so I see, you know, and in my clinic too, I see anyone and everyone. It's not just limited to the dance demographic population, but I, I like to be able to see, um, people outside of that just because of what you're saying. Like I'm throwing a curveball, and I'm like, oh, I got to use my brain here a little bit. You know, I got to like dig back to like even some like neuro stuff or just, um, pathophysiology things, you know? So it keeps like, me interested and uh, also excited about having to, like, go and do some just research myself again. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think that helps to kind of, like you're saying, give variety so that you don't get into that, like, the put on the blinders and forget and get in the rut kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: We definitely also have I think a pretty amazing dance medicine community as a whole, yeah. um, whether it's you know organizations like Doctors for Dancers and I Adams and you know so many others Bridge Dance Project, there are a ton of them. Um, but getting to know other dance medicine specialists and dance science specialists, getting to engage with them online and seeing their stuff on social media and what they're talking about that are maybe more specific to their specialty area or their profession that's different than mine um and you know it's just it's always an opportunity to like oh that's really interesting i want to read more into that or they're really passionate and making such a great case for why we need to consider X, Y, and Z. And that's not something I've thought of before. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just, I love, I love our people. I love our community um, yes. and wish that things like I Adams could happen more than once a year. Um, I
1: yeah. I mean, after I came back from my Adams this year, I felt so inspired. I was like, I can use this little nugget with this one patient that I have, you know, and uh, it was also really nice to just be around my people. Like you said, like we're all dance scientists or dance medical professionals or even dancers ourselves. So mm-hmm. it was validating too. I was like, oh, I'm doing the right things. Like, cause sometimes I can slip into this imposter syndrome too of like, I don't know, like, what if I don't know all the the up-to-date stuff, right? But mm-hmm. um, just to be around other professionals that are in the same boat and, like, hearing all these presentations, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been totally doing that. So it felt really great in that aspect, too.
0: Yeah. I think you hit on an important point there, too, is, like, you know, falling into kind of that imposter syndrome thing. I think because our community of dance medicine professionals is so small and we tend to be quite spread out from one another it's really easy to fall into that because we aren't surrounded by other people who are doing the same thing all the time and, and that kind of thing. It's not like, you know, at one point I was working at a clinic where there were 14 therapists there, um, scheduled at various times. And so there was always somebody to bounce ideas off of, or like, you know, seeing across the clinic and saying like, Ooh, what are they doing over there? I'm going yeah. to ask them about that technique later. Um, and so, you know, it, Requires a bit more for us to intentionally stay connected and engage with our colleagues, um, but yeah, it definitely makes it easier to kind of fall into that too of that imposter syndrome idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely miss that aspect of being in a busy clinic and exactly what you said, like watching someone across the room be like, "Oh, I can do that too. I have a patient that that would really benefit from that," or just like bouncing ideas off of. So, I mean, I definitely have my, my mentors that I can call easily, um, friends from school that we like bounce ideas back and forth from one another, but it can feel isolating when you're just by yourself and you're a small niche. And um, so, yeah, I think the community is really important.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about some of the ways that you engage with the dance community. So besides clients who come to work with you in the clinic um, or, you know, being on site somewhere, I know you also do things like seminars at studios and workshops and wellness sessions and things like that, or working on site, like at the Denver Center for Performing Arts. Talk to me more about some of those things that you do.
1: Yeah. Um, So I think the biggest, like different exciting change for me this year was doing some on-site care for the Denver Center Performing Arts Theater Company. So I was working mostly with actors, but they also had like a musical theater background. So it was, um, I guess, easy to connect with them from like a dance lens too. But I learned a lot just about like theater and acting and what all that looks like um, as far as, Mm -hmm. like, repetitive motions. They might not be dancing and doing all, like, the the leaps and pirouettes and stuff that we do as dancers, but, like, for this one play in particular, it was so physical. I mean, some, I think, I remember one actor, like, having to hold a plank position for, like, five minutes (laughs) and then also, like, climbing and, like, going on this ladder thing so like that was really eye-opening to me i'm grateful that i got to see the play too just because mm-hmm. definitely i think that really helps too like if you are going to do backstage care on-site care you got to know like what they're doing it makes a lot more sense and then it really builds the rapport with the performer because they now know that you know exactly what they're doing. So they don't have to explain it to you as much. Um, So I was with that play for, I don't know, a couple months and I got to see them once a week or so, maybe a couple times a week. So that that really reminded me of being like in the athletic training room, if you will, because I really got to know them and they got to know me really well. So they would share openly uh, a lot with me, and so it, I didn't have to do a lot of digging, if you will, which was kind of nice. Um, I mm-hmm. think when you get a client that just comes into your office and you're just getting to know them, and you only see them for like a few visits, four, six visits, and then they're on their way. Like I, you know, probably got to know them well, but not as well as I would have if I'm hanging out with them for like a couple months, like right. as they're touring, if you will. So that was really awesome and different. And then um, I do some in-house physical therapy services, like wellness services for a couple local dance studios. Again, it kind of feels like more of that training room feel, I guess, if you will, where like they know me, I'm their go-to, like um, I know them as people really well. I can tell when they're maybe not being a hundred percent honest with me. So I'll be like, hey, like, tell me more about that right i can call them out a little bit more cuz that rapport is really there mm-hmm. um i also like have access to the dance studios which is nice because i can like have the dancer like go through a whole like jump routine or like leap across the floor we have a lot of space which i don't really have that always in my um clinic so mm-hmm. yeah and then as far as like seminars go i was doing them pretty frequently. I'd say, like, I had an event once a month there for a little while. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usually, like, studios will bring me in to do either just, like, quick screens, like, almost triaging their students if they have an injury concern coming up. And then I can be like, yeah, you need to see someone right away. Or like, no, you can wait this out for a little bit or come and see me kind of thing. Um, I've also done kind of like group screens, similarly to like what you and I did at the Starstruck Furbridge Dance Project event in July, um, where this seems to work really well. Like I'll get dancers to pair up with one another and then I'll demonstrate for them at the front list, you know, three to four typical movement screens that I take my dancers or clients through, and then I have them try to be interactive with one another, and they get to play, like, PT patient kind of thing so that they mm-hmm. can feel it in their body, but also, like, visually see it on somebody else, and that's, I get a lot of good feedback from doing that from the dancers as well as, like, studio owners and teachers that are there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was super fun when we did that. I always like doing stuff like that. hmm um maybe for you know whether it's studio owners, dance teachers, dance parents who are listening and thinking of our, you know, our adolescent, pre-adolescent dancers. Um, maybe describe a little bit more what this like on site at the studio, more of the one-on-one thing looks like. Just sure. Because I think it's an important thing to know that there are people like us out there who can provide this. Yeah. Um, and so if it's something they want to include, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I'm at a studio right now where uh, they had a wellness center kind of built into their studio, which is awesome. amazing. Like that's really unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, but this studio took it upon themselves to be like, we care about our dancers' health. We want to bring in a PT that's there once a week, a um, chiropractor that's there once a week, a massage therapist. They even do like a mental health person that's there once a week, which is amazing. Um, When I come in, I'm usually just one night a week from three, like a three hour block of time. People usually schedule with me ahead of time where I have like 30 minute slots and they can come in with an injury they're concerned about, or I'm already like working with those dancers weekly at the studio. Uh, I'm also like, sometimes I'm just there and I have a break in between like a patient at 3.30, let's say, and I don't have another one at like 5 or 5.30. So Mm -hmm. I might have like an open door policy. So just recently, I mean, it's Nutcracker season, so a gal came to me and had had an injury concern outside of dance, but wanted to make sure it was okay that she could continue rehearsing and stuff for Nutcracker. So that was, again, kind of like a, that's where I feel like it's this athletic training room, if you will. Like, athletes just come to their athletic trainer and they're like, hey, like, I'm worried about this. I hurt myself. Mm-hmm. Um out of the hours of like actually being on site from like a game or performance or whatever. This is a little bit different. This is like, you know, I'm there, I can provide some hands-on treatment or just like a quick ass- injury assessment, essentially. Um, I usually don't charge if someone just walks through my doors and that that way they can be like, oh, like, who is this person? Um, like, I want to know her approach kind of thing. And then, you know, I do charge for the people that are like seeing me more regularly or like have an injury concern that they want to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then even sometimes if I feel like, okay, you know, I have 30 minutes to spend with this dancer now, but I think that they need more like an hour once a week or a couple times a week, I'll suggest that they come to my clinic so that they get a little bit more hands-on, one-on-one attention. Um, and I've, I've had a couple people do that actually. I I even treat, like, the parents, too. I've treated, like, Mm -hmm. faculty members um, and artistic directors. I usually give, like, a, a freebie to the faculty and artistic directors just because, like, I want them to know that I'm here for their health, too, and that if they see me, then they can be, like, oh, my dancer. I trust my dancer to see this provider now, too. Yeah. So, and then parents, too, like, building that rapport. Like, I've had a couple dance moms come and see me too, because they also have a background of dance, and now their kid is dancing. So that that's really fun to see that whole community come together too.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, being able to have those kinds of interactions with the studio owner, teachers, parents, whomever, um, that man, that is gold because then they will vouch for you. And and we know what communities are like in dance studios. Word spreads like wildfire for sure. <laughs> um, and so getting those connections can be so incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing that something like this is an option to have at a studio. It's not like, you know, you have to have somebody who's in-house 24 seven. You don't have to some have somebody there every night of the week. It could be something, you know, even like once every two weeks or something like that. There's a lot of ways of what that could look like, mm-hmm. but just having that relationship, having somebody that is already trusted by the studio as a whole to be in that space, um, I think just helps the dancers be able to advocate for themselves a little bit easier too. And I think, you know, thinking back to an interview with another person, we were kind of talking about some of this a little bit, and she was saying from the perspective of like, you know, is she working as an employee of, say, a dance company? Or is she there as an employee of someplace else that's contracted with that company? Sometimes even something as simple as that can make a difference of like, you know, you're not an employee of the dance studio. You're contracted there to come in. And so you are there for the dancers.
1: Mm-hmm. You are not
0: there to make decisions for the studio's sake. Yes. That might not line up with what the dancers really need, which I think is an important thing, too.
1: Yeah. And I, I definitely take on that perspective too. Um, I'm not just attached to one studio. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because my, my idea is I want to get to the masses. I want to treat as many dancers as possible. I want to help as many dancers feel confident in their bodies um, either to, you know, get better as a dancer or just heal from an injury kind of thing. So, Mm Yeah, I think like what you're saying, that that's also probably important to just bring up to the dancer, the dancer's parents, just knowing that I, there's not like this attachment to the studio. I'm not trying to like tell you guys to stop doing things a certain way. Like it's really to still help you become a better dancer and to heal from injury.
0: Mhm. Most definitely. Are there any other things that you think that providers, whether they're PTEs or somebody else, could do to kind of help create more of that safe space for dancers or helping them be more, better advocates for themselves?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing is just having the willingness to educate oneself about whatever it is. Like if it's dance, if it's golf, tennis, you know, whatever. Like I, I know I got that kind of training from athletic training, actually, of mm-hmm. just, if you don't know the sport, go research the sport, go understand the sport, um, so that your athlete feels more comfortable talking to you about it. Cause I think the moment that you start to show that you don't know, then there becomes this, like a little bit of hesitant, Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little bit of hesitance coming up uh, between like client and provider. Um, And I lost my train of thought, but I think, you know, even if you don't know the sport or you're starting to show like, I don't know this, ask the athlete or the dancer to show it for you or, or just like make it transparent to them that like, I'm still learning this. I care about this, Mm -hmm. but I'm still learning. So that you're not just like pushing them off or not caring about what that they really love to do is that's a starting point is what
0: I would start with, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that those are the two big things. Do research, learn more for yourself Mm -hmm. and ask questions, whether that's a demonstration or, you know, like I've had some dancers come in that maybe do a genre that I am not familiar with or barely familiar with. And so it's like, so describe for me like what a typical class would look like for you or a typical rehearsal and, you know, talk to me about or bring in the shoes that you're wearing for this because it's something different than what I'm used to or, you know, and just like use those questions to help fill in some of that information and don't just hope that you can muddle your way through (laughs)
1: Yeah, and that brings up a good point because, like, I mean, obviously my repertoire is in dance, but there are even some dance styles that I don't know a lot about. Like, mm-hmm. ballroom, I would have to learn more and research more about just because, like, now you're getting, like, arm movement involvement and not just, like, lower body, which I'm really used to seeing a lot of just, like, lower body stuff, right? Right. So uh yeah I think it's important to just know your limitations too and then if you're you know wanting to like work with that type of person again just go figure it out and go go show the dancer that you like hey I watched this video on this tango style and now I understand like why it might bother you in this movement that you're doing
0: mhm definitely I think one of my favorite sort of self-assigned assignments with the new dancer um, was years ago, I had a professional flamenco dancer that I was working with. And I had seen plenty of flamenco, but, you know, just seeing some performances of it a while back. Uh, wasn't enough, and I mm-hmm. had so much fun diving down that rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> watching videos and you know seeing what I could find online to learn more about that particular art form. For sure, super cool.
1: And then, like, because we love dance so much, like, it's just I love doing that because then I'm like, oh, I'm nerding out on dance even more because, like, I don't know this style, but it's beautiful yeah. and I want to learn about it. You know, so it's a
0: great excuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we are at the point of the show where we have a special segment. So we have the final bow. Basically, this is your parting message for the audience. We've talked about a lot of different topics um, and things that are geared to kind of some different audiences as well. So what Mm -hmm. would you say is sort of your one big take-home message that you hope they walk away with?
1: Yeah, I I want to put it all into one sentence, but I know that's not going to happen. So <laughs> I think if there are dancers listening to this and uh, dance studio owners or parents, just really uh, helping take courage and standing up for what you know, because you know your body best, right? And it helps us as providers to, like, hear a really good history of what is going on and what that pain feels like. So don't be afraid to really, like, tell us everything. Ask more questions. Um, Don't feel like you have to be okay with any treatment intervention. Like, ask more questions about that and what that would look like. And then I guess, like, just for other healthcare providers that are listening too, like, just remember to keep an open mind and come from a place of curiosity and remember that, like, even though we see a lot of similar clinical presentations, to remember that you have an individual human in front of you. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that really helps to keep us out of that rut or out of that groove, um, but really see each individual for who they are and what they're presenting with and not just compare it to like textbook or similar clinical presentations that you've seen.
0: Yes, most definitely. Every new patient is a fresh page Yes. that we are working <laughs> with. So then the very last bit is your opportunity for a shameless plug. So whatever you would like to promote for yourself, anything that you have going on, this is your opportunity to share it.
1: Awesome. I mean, I, um, like I said, my clinic is in Boulder, Colorado, and I provide one-on-one customized care for an hour every single visit. Uh, If you're a dancer, I definitely make it dance specific. So looking at your dance movement, Uh, and seeing kind of where we can make those corrections. Um, If you're a dance studio owner, like I love to come in and do seminars and workshops, uh, just talking about injury risk reduction. Um, And yeah, I think that's all I can think about. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. It was so much fun getting to chat with you. I mean, we chat a lot anyways, yeah. but this it. specific <laughs> conversation. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome.
0: Dance Med Spotlight is hosted and produced by Alyssa Arms. We discuss all things dance medicine. This has been another episode from Dance Med Spotlight. The Dance Med Spotlight is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present.